You are listening to National Security Law Today. Welcome to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association's Standing Committee on Law and National Security. I am Nicole, a member of the committee staff. Our podcast episode today was recorded live at the 28th Annual Review of the Field of National Security Law Conference in November 2018. It's one of the conference's keynote addresses from Suzanne Spaulding, a senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies and the former Undersecretary of the Department of Homeland Security National Protection and Programs Directorate. Suzanne is also a member of the Standing Committee on Law and National Security. Her talk is called Foreign Threats to Democracy, a Focus on the U.S. Justice System. For more information on Suzanne and to he- learn more about the conference, please visit us online at AmericanBar.org slash NatSecurity. You can also find information about our upcoming breakfast events. On March 5th, 2019, Standing Committee on Law and National Security will be holding a breakfast event with Corin Stone, a Deputy Director of National Intelligence for Strategy and Engagement. Visit us online to find out more and to register. I think it's been a great conference, and yesterday's Fourth Amendment panel, I'm going to talk loud because I know there's a lot of um, lunch, you're indulging me by letting me start while you're still being served in your lunch, uh, and at some point I'm going to have slides, and for those of you who have your back to the slides, don't worry about it, the slides are so not important, um, so don't look at them, don't worry about it at all. Uh, but I did want to reference back to yesterday's Fourth Amendment panel where uh, Jamil Jafir passionately urged us all to remember, to take note that America is under attack from Russia and that we need to come together in a bipartisan fashion to counter that attack. Um, Today I want to talk about a particular aspect of that attack that I worry is being missed And that is an attack on public faith and confidence in America's justice system as a pillar of democracy. And I include in that courts and judges and prosecutors and defenders and investigators and lawyers and ultimately the rule of law and at the end public faith and confidence in the concept of democracy itself. Putin's goal is to paint our democracy and our justice system as hypocritical and corrupt, as a tool of the establishment, and that's a quote from Russian instructions, not as independent and impartial. So this afternoon I'm going to walk you through some of the evidence that we have gathered uh, of that attack. I'm going to talk about some of the things we're doing to address it and some of the things that I would ask of you. Before I begin, let me note that um, I understand that other countries are also engaged in influence efforts, and other countries are taking note of what Russia has done and is doing. So so we've seen that Iran has tried to weigh in, wade into that social media morass. We know that China is engaged in a very sophisticated influence operation with its own playbook. But it's really, I'm focused on Russia because so far it's only Russia that we see engaging in this scorched earth approach to weaken democracy and to weaken this country. The focus right now really is on our midterms, which of course have already begun. People are voting, have been voting now 
all across the country. And that's appropriate that at the moment we're focused on midterms. That was the focus of my last year at the Department of Homeland Security, responsible for cybersecurity and critical infrastructure protection. Um, and it has been a key focus of mine at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, where I now lead a project on adversary attacks on democratic institutions, and as a board member uh, at the Belfer Center's Demo uh, Defending, digital, Defending Digital Institutions. Um, where we have worked on playbooks for campaigns and uh, for election officials. We are told now that the U.S. government is not seeing the level of malicious activity that we saw in the run-up to the elections of 2016, but that doesn't mean we're seeing nothing. I know you have read about the attacks on campaigns, uh, some individual campaigns, as well as sitting senators and their staffs. But we are very much focused on protecting that election infrastructure we don't have as much insight into what the government may be doing to track targeted social media, um, but my hope is that, the, that at least within the departments and agencies, if not at the interagency level, that they are in fact paying better attention to that. Uh, I do believe <coughs> we will be better prepared to defend against the kinds of things we saw in 2016. The only problem with that is that it's not 2016. It's 2018, uh, and we should expect and be ready for different kinds of tactics and techniques. The bottom line on the election front uh, was really something that my former colleague Bob Kalaski said, and I would ask you to uh, you know, share this sentiment, uh, which is, there will be disruptions on election day. There always are, there always have been, and there always will be. Uh, and the important message is, no matter what, vote. Do not let whatever you are hearing about on social media or on television dissuade you from exercising that all-important responsibility to vote. But my message today is not about elections. Russia's campaign began long before the 2016 elections, and they never left. Followers of Russia's activities increasingly understand this is a broad-scale campaign to undermine democracy by sowing, by exacerbating divisions and sowing chaos. We saw with horror over the past week an incredibly tragic outcome of that divisiveness. And we cannot dismiss the seriousness of an adversary constantly pouring gasoline on the flames of division, hatred, and fear that can lead to such violence. What I'm going to describe today is a more deliberate and focused effort that we see targeting our justice system, often using those divisive issues. Much of this may be familiar to you, but I think few have seen it through the lens of a coordinated attack on the justice system. So my story begins in January of 2016. In Berlin, Germany, where a young girl of Russian heritage claimed that she had been abducted and raped by refugees. The authorities quickly determined that that was a fabrication. She had spent the night with a friend and was afraid to tell her parents the truth. Nevertheless, social media erupted with outrage that the authorities were not persecuting, prosecuting these refugees 
for this horrible crime and, in fact, generated riots in the streets all across Germany. This was called the Lisa case uh, because the the young woman's name was Lisa. But they went after the prosecutor and foreign minister, uh, Russia's foreign minister Lavrov personally accused the German authorities of covering up this horrible crime that, of course, never happened in order to protect the politicians who were soft on refugees. That's Germany. Fast forward six months. Now we're in Twin Falls, Idaho. Twin Falls, Idaho. Where social media has erupted again with allegations that two Syrian refugees raped a young girl at knife point. Again, the authorities quickly established there were no Syrian refugees involved. There were three young people. Uh, Something uh, happened in the basement of a building. There was no, with a young girl, uh, there was no knife. The authorities took the young boys into custody and began appropriate legal process. But social media ran with this story, again, going after the prosecutor and court officials for covering up and failing to prosecute refugees. So in the uh, trove of tweets that have been released over the last few months uh, that have been coming out of the Internet Research Agency and Russian-affiliated social media, um, here's just a couple. Did I lose it? No. Here's just a couple of, uh, of the kinds of tweets that were floating around, including an attack on the U.S. attorney for Idaho, Wendy Olson, um, because she was trying to get people to stop spreading the fabricated fabrications around this case. Within a few weeks, in August, a group called Secured Borders tried to organize a rally, and this is one of their uh, posts on social media. Their message as you can see, citizens before refugees. And in the, in the posts accompanying these flyers trying to organize an in-person rally of the kind that they had done in Germany, it said, all government officials who are covering up for these criminals should be fired. U.S. Attorney Wendy Olson, who interfered with the investigation and threatened local citizens, should be fired. Secured Borders was not a concerned group of citizens from Idaho Falls. This is a group that was made up by the Internet Research Agency. And they reappear later. I will come back to them. Within a short period of time, a website called Bare Naked Islam posted a picture of the judge in the case with a big red arrow saying corrupt judge. His home address and phone number were posted on the Internet, and he was subjected to all kinds of harassment and abuse. So this is the kind of thing that we are seeing on social media and again looking at the trove of tweets that has been released. Um, we've just some basic analysis of that social media content. And what I all, all I ask you to get from this slide is really is is A that the vast majority of it of course is negative and that they weigh in on both sides. They are coming at these issues from the left and from the right. 
Uh, if you think that they are coming in on your side and therefore it's okay, just keep looking. You'll see that they're weighing in on the other side as well. They take advantage of these divisive issues, particularly around immigration issues. So here you see uh, a graph, a chart from a group called Hamilton 68. They are, part, they are working with the Alliance for Secure Democracy at the German Marshall Fund, and they are digital forensic analysts looking at a roughly 600 social media accounts that are either Russian-affiliated or, or known to be pushing Russian narratives. Um, and this was the tragic shooting you may recall, of Kate Steinle uh, in San Francisco on the pier by an apparently undocumented immigrant. The jury, this was the day that the jury came back with a, uh, an acquittal, finding that it was an accident, that he picked up the gun, was wrapped in a cloth, and it went off accidentally. Outrage pushed by these uh, social media accounts affiliated with Russia. Um, over that verdict. And here's, again, just a couple examples of, uh, of tweets from those Russian-affiliated accounts. Uh, and the second one, the Kate Steinle verdict is a failure of the justice system. This is the truth. Our justice system has failed us many times and is still broken. But as I said, they don't just come at this from the right. The Alton-Sterling case also uh, garnered attention from these Russian-affiliated uh, social media accounts and, and phony uh, groups. This, in this case, this blackmattersus.com. Uh, the Justice Department will not charge the two police officers involved in the fatal shooting of Alton Sterling, is what it says under that picture. Um, and, they, and here, again, a couple more. Uh, mock-ups of, of actual tweets from the uh, Russian-affiliated um, accounts. Within days, we see them, did I go by it? We see them weighing in on Blue Lives Matter uh, in the wake of this tragic shooting in Dallas of five police officers by Mika Johnson. The Internet Research Agency's Heart of Texas page on Facebook sponsored an event, Blue Lives Matter, aimed at protesting the treatment of law enforcement. And here again, a couple of tweets. The point here is that Putin exploits divisions and weaknesses of our own making. They grab onto legitimate grievances, and again, they pour gasoline on it. They add fuel to the flames with the goal not of making us better, but of weakening us and tearing us apart. So when we went over to talk to the folks at Hamilton 68 to say, you know, are you seeing this? Can you please go back and look through your historical data to see if when you look at it through this lens of an attack on the justice system, does it start to suddenly emerge from the, from the mass of social media activity? And sure enough, a couple weeks later, in their dispatch, they uh, said Russian-linked accounts continue their assault on the U.S. justice system by seeding Twitter with a steady diet of content meant to undermine faith in the rule of law. Since the launch of the dashboard, content focused on undermining law enforcement and the Justice Department 
has increased steadily, suggesting an attempt not only to divide Americans, but to erode faith in our systems of government. And it has not let up. In the most recent indictment that just came out, uh, the indictment talks about members of the conspiracy, and in talking about some of the work they did, um, they cited an example uh, in August of 2017 where one or more of the members of the conspiracy, this is the Russian intelligence, working under the guise of the Facebook group Secured Borders, you remember them from a few slides ago, uh, you know, get, put out instructions for how to deal with some of the press stories coming out. Uh, and with regard to Mueller, here was the instruction, the, the guidance on talking points, right? Special Prosecutor Mueller is a puppet of the establishment. Summarized with a statement that Mueller is very dependent and highly politicized figure. Therefore, there will be no honest and open results from the investigation. Emphasize that the work of this commission is damaging to the country and is aimed to declare the impeachment of Trump. Emphasize that it cannot be allowed no matter what. That was the uh, instruction to the social, Russian social media uh, folks. But it's not just in social media um, that we see this attack on the justice system. They're fairly open about it. Uh, and so there are more open propaganda arms, including RT, which, of course, all of you know stands for Russia Today. And because they are a propaganda arm of the Russian government, they have been uh, required to, to register as a foreign agent. Um, this is one of my favorites. This is America's Lawyer. It's a weekly program. And the picture is of an ad that ran uh, on bus stops across Washington, D.C. several months ago. Some of you may have seen it. And, uh, and it's got a picture of Mike Papantonio, who is a Pensacola trial attorney, who is the host of America's Lawyer. And underneath it says, is this American enough for you? The theme, the unrelenting theme of America's Lawyer is that America's justice system is corrupt and broken. This is a quote from a typical uh, introduction to this weekly program. To say that the justice system in the United States is broken would be a gross understatement. Corporations and corrupt politicians have taken control, turning the once impartial judiciary into a tool for the elite to use for their own gain. Sputnik, similarly, has a regular program called Criminal Injustice. Here's just a typical headline. Putin himself has indicated uh, that he is very much aware of this and, and I think um, driving this effort to undermine what he worries that his population and others around the world where we compete for influence see as a shining pillar, right, to aspire to. And that's what he wants to undermine. So when we... Uh, took possession of the, the uh, most recently of those diplomatic facilities, Russia's diplomatic facilities. Um, Putin gave a press conference, and he complained that this was stripping Russia of its uh, property rights, and that he was going to ask his envoy in the United States to sue in U.S. courts. And his next sentence was, we will see how effectively the much-lauded 
American judicial system works. The headline, of course, in RT or Sputnik the next day was, Russia will never see fair treatment in U.S. courts. They've also gone after FISA and the FISA court and the NSA and surveillance. And so in uh, February of 2015, we know that there was an instruction given to the folks at the Internet Research Agency because we have gotten a copy of it. Uh, the USA has several important internal problems, it said. We will single out three, one of which is the problem of the NSA and the total surveillance of American citizens by the intelligence services. In September of 2018, um, the Sputnik show, By Any Means Necessary, discusses secretive FISA courts being used to spy on journalists, how the surveillance state is constructed to squash dissent and the targeting of whistleblowers. <clears throat> so again, <clears throat> what, what we see is taking some legitimate concerns, some kernels of truth, some legitimate grievances, uh, and, and, and piling on and, and driving a very one-sided narrative. Again, I, and I've talked to my friends who are ardent advocates for judicial reform and doing really important work to address the failings of our justice system. Russia is not weighing in on their side to help make our justice system better. That's an important point to remember. So in uh, last year, I pulled together a couple of roundtables, bipartisan group of national security experts, and in February we published a report, uh, Adversary Attacks on Democratic Institutions, which is posted at CSIS.org. Uh, with that sort of laid out the issue more broadly in terms of the attack on democracy and made some recommendations. Um, first, publicize the extent of Russian and potentially other adversaries' interference in democratic institutions and increase awareness of the threat within those institutions and among the public. Research the extent to which specific adversary techniques, including cyber-enabled activities of the kind we saw in the run-up to the 2016 elections, and I'll pause there and, and point out all of you can think about the ways in which you might use malicious cyber activity to undermine public confidence in the uh, independence, impartiality, temperament, competence of the court, right? Whether it is by leaking emails that are unflattering, one judge writes to uh, her clerks about her colleagues on the court, or more importantly, perhaps, changing the integrity of data so that people who are supposed to be uh, continued in custody are released and vice versa, changing uh, monetary awards, which we've seen some of, not from Russia, um, leaking draft opinions, uh, even DDoS attacks of the kind we saw in the city of Atlanta that shut down municipal courts over and over again that begin to erode the public's confidence in the competency of the courts. So the cybersecurity piece is very important. Uh, <clears throat> and target our efforts to those we think have the greatest impact on public opinion, improve transparency into foreign adversary interference through measures such as campaign finance reform, foreign agent disclosure, and tagging adversary-operated bots and inauthentic accounts. We need a national strategy to counter foreign adversary threats to democratic institutions. 
promote bipartisan action against Russia and its proxies, and increase technical defenses and countermeasures to increase the cost of those disruptive activities, and finally, and perhaps in some ways most important, engage in a national effort to promote and reinvigorate Americans' understanding of the importance of democracy and our democratic institutions as a bulwark against foreign efforts to exploit divisions and complacency. This should include media literacy, critical thinking, and civics curricula at all levels updated for the digital age. Those were the bipartisan national security recommendations in the report in February. Um, the standing committee, uh, uh, ABA standing committee and the Center for Strategic and International Studies has been working over the last year to address this particular issue of attacks on public confidence in the judicial system with two primary goals. We want to strengthen the resiliency of the justice system and the public against adversary attacks by strengthening the cybersecurity of the courts and of the judges and individuals throughout the justice system and building national resilience against these information operations. I will quickly touch on a few of the things that we have done. We, we have been working very closely with the Administrative Office of the Courts, responsible for cybersecurity and the technology across the federal enterprise, and, uh, and the Federal Judicial Center and the folks there, John Cook, who's a longtime member of our committee, who's now the head of it, but at the time, Judge Jeremy Fogle, Judge Thomas Hardiman of the Third Circuit, who heads the IT Committee of the Judicial Conference. These folks have provided leadership among their colleagues, and we brought uh, nearly 30 judges from every federal circuit across the country into Washington for two days to talk with them about why they need to strengthen their cybersecurity and be thinking about, beyond that, possible information operations designed to undermine public confidence in the work that they do. My bumper sticker for the judges is, defend democracy, change your password. So they are proselytizing to their colleagues, and we're continuing to work on that front. On the state court front, which is where the vast majority of cases and all of the ones, really, that I've described here uh, take place, we've been working uh, very closely with the National Center for State Courts, their executive director, Mary McQueen, who get, got it right away and has been a, a terrific partner. And I spoke to Harvey, and I met with uh, all 50 chief judges of all 50 state Supreme Courts across the country uh, this summer to alert them to this issue uh, and to offer our assistance and resources, and we're going to continue to work with them. What you can do. One of the things that we are talking about is that judges and courts have a hard time defending themselves. It's not a coincidence that, that a number of the cases that we cite involve juveniles, right? Because there's a level of privacy protection that creates an information vacuum in which conspiracies thrive. They need folks on the outside who are prepared to stand up and help the public better understand what is happening and to help knock down false information. Right? So one of the things that we're looking at is can we create all across the country rapid response teams? We're looking at how we can contribute to the uh, growing effort across the nation to beef up our civics uh, education, both for students and for adults, by bringing a sense of the national security imperative 
to this civics education. This is not just a nice to have. This is a key moment in our country and this is a national security imperative. We are asking our courts today to do a great deal. We are looking to them in the absence sometimes of the kind of behavior that we would hope for from our other two branches, right? Many of us are looking to the courts. We are depending on the courts to defend our republic. And if we are going to ask them, if we are going to depend on them to defend us, we have to be prepared to defend them. Timothy Snyder, who wrote On Tyranny and has a book out now, The Road to Unfreedom, put out a list of 20 things to do to try to prevent tyranny from taking over. And one of them is defend an institution, follow the courts or the media, or a court, a newspaper. Do not speak of our institutions unless you are making them yours by acting on their behalf. Institutions don't protect themselves. They go down like dominoes unless each is protected from the beginning. I'm looking forward to the next panel, which will help us, again, better understand how we rely on the courts uh, in this important area of national security. Um, but, I, but I thank you all for giving me the time to lay out what I think is a really important issue, and I think we have a few minutes for some questions. Thank you. Thank you for listening to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association Standing Committee on Law and National Security. You can find links to Black Letter Law and articles and more information on the 28th Annual Review Conference at AmericanBar.org slash National Security and in the notes to the podcast. You can also drop us a note at National Security at AmericanBar.org or on Twitter at ABA NatSec or on our Facebook page. You can also find more information about our upcoming breakfast with Corin Stone on March 5th. Join us at the University Club in downtown Washington, D.C. to hear from Corin, who's a Deputy Director of National Intelligence for Strategy and Engagement. Registration information is available on our site. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association, and accordingly should not be construed as representing ABA policy.